John chapter 11, we will pick up, I'm going to read for our time together and our lesson together. Um, I'm going to read from verse, uh, let's go from verse 28. We already did part of this uh, last week, so turn John eleven twenty-eight. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be Bibles in the back. You can grab one, just go up and get one right by the sound booth. So John chapter 11, verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but still in the place where Martha had met him. Mary's going out. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, we know that verse, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Jesus moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. He had been dead for four days. Jesus said to Martha, to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died come out, his hands and his feet bound with linen and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word um, this morning. Powerful testimony. We've been studying the gospel according to John called The Invisible Made Visible. That's our series title. If there's ever a clear narrative that shows us the eternal God who took on flesh, the invisible became visible, made himself known to us, it's this one right here. Jesus is, is the unique son of God, the revelation of God, will demonstrate to us his power through this eyewitness account and make known to us the guarantee of what our future as children of God will look like. Let me just quickly bring you up to speed if you weren't here last week. Jesus in chapter 10 is in Jerusalem. It is the time of the Feast of Dedication, which is the Feast of Hanukkah. Celebration of this reconsecration, rededication of the temple that was desecrated and the altar of burnt offerings. In chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus was cornered by the Jewish leaders and he was asked, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And that he himself was the true and better consecrated one. He's the fulfillment of the feasts. He was sent into the world. And these Jews, these monotheistic who believe in one God as we do, understood what Jesus was saying about himself, about his deity, about his divinity, about his personhood. So they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Because it says in verse 33 of chapter 10, because you being a man make yourself God. We agree with that. We don't agree it's blasphemy. They're actually blaspheming because they don't believe in who Jesus is, the one God. True God, the second person of the Trinity. 
by the time, but it wasn't time. It wasn't time for Jesus to die. The stones would not strike him. It's not that he's on the Father's timetable. The cross will come, but it will be soon enough. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He goes northeast on the side of the Jordan River where John had been baptizing, where the ministry of John had started. And it is late winter, early spring. Late winter, early spring. It's important because the spring that is approaching will bring the Passover season of the time in which will culminate in the cross, the crucifixion. We are maybe a couple of months, maybe several weeks away from the crucifixion at this moment. He's there, he, he, he's on the other side of the Jordan, and he gets messenger, uh, messengers are sent to find Jesus. I don't know, there's no GPS and cell phones, I don't know how you find people back then, they had their way. Messengers were sent from Mary and Martha, who lived in Bethany, close to Jerusalem, to go and find Jesus, and look with me in chapter 11, verse 3, the message came to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So while Jesus is in the northeast side of the Jordan River, a few days travel, he gets a message from messengers sent by Mary and Martha that the one whom he loves is ill. That one whom he loves is Lazarus. And then if you look at chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, and this is really important, it says in verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There was love there. Love is all over this passage. There's devotion in chapter 2. We see love later on, whom he loves. There's love. There's this love of Jesus, of, uh, of, of these, these beautiful family. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 5, so, which is the word therefore, because of that, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Feel that. The reason, the purpose for his delay was because he loved them and in his loving this family, he chose to allow the sickness to end in death, in love. Jesus allowed suffering and pain to come into Mary and Martha's life and he allowed Lazarus to suffer, slowly suffer and experience the anguish of death so that because, therefore, verse 6, he loved them. At this point, we should be saying, what does that mean? How do you love someone like that? Praise God, we have the answer. Verse, verse 4. Jesus gives us the purpose and the way in which he's going to show his love. Verse 4. When Jesus heard this message, the one whom you love is ill, he said this illness does not lead to death. He's talking about ultimately. It is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God so, not just the glory of God, so that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, may be glorified through it. What Mary and Martha and Lazarus and everyone in the world and this room needs is the love of God. And how does he choose to show them that love? By them seeing, treasuring, and magnifying the beauty, glory, an incalculable worth of Christ by the manifestation of himself. John chapter 14, Jesus will say, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, Jesus talking, will be loved by my father. And I, Jesus, will love him and manifest myself to him. How am I going to love them? I'm going to manifest myself to them. They'll see my beauty, they'll see my glory, and I will make myself known to them what we need, family, what we need more than anything, more than physical healing, 
more than money, more than uh, power, prestige, health, anything in this universe is the manifestation of Jesus Christ to our hearts. Some of you know what it's like to have that presence of Christ in a deep, dark times of your life. You've been through trials. You've been through hard times. You've, you've been in those situations of phone calls and people sick and all the situations, and then Jesus shows up. And, 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 that's, and you sense his greatness. You sense his love. You sense his grace. You sense his care and comfort for you. And sometimes it happens in postponement. Sometimes it happens in postponement. Because it's then, it's those times, and God waits, because he knows we need to wait, that he shows himself and reveals himself to us. And that's all that matters to us. Giving us what we mean most, let me tell you, is being raptured in the glory and beauty of Christ. Jesus now hears the message, stays two days, and after a few days, he says, it's time to go. Look, at, look if you will, in John chapter 11, verse 8, the disciples say, listen, if we go to Judea, they're going to try to kill you again. They just tried to stone you. They're going to kill you. And Jesus is like, listen, are there not 12 hours in the day? It is still light out. In other words, my father is still working. The cross hasn't come. I got things to do. No one's going to take my life. I'm not on their timetable. We're going. It's daytime. Let's go. We need to go. And now he shows up. It's days later and Lazarus is dead. And he explains to them he is dead. So what happens now is Jesus shows up in Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to manifest himself. He's going to show himself. He's going to reveal his glory to these groups of people, I believe, in four ways. First way he's going to do it is through the words to Martha. He's going to speak words to Martha. And then he's going to show up. He's going to show this deep emotional connection with Mary. And then he's going to be not pleased for a word I can use, when he sees the unbelief in the people. And then finally, we'll go to the resurrection when he calls Lazarus out of the grave. So first, his words to Martha. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha. They came from Jerusalem. They went two miles out to Bethany, knowing that Lazarus has been dead. Uh, and they go and see her. We'll see next uh, couple of weeks. We get to chapter 12. It was a well-to-do family. There was some connection going on. They had some uh, wealth, which we'll look at. And all these people heard that Lazarus was dead. And they went out. Jesus is coming down, and he is headed toward the family. Martha, verse 20, heard that Jesus was coming. She went out and met him. But Mary, her sister, remained in the house, seated in the house. So what you see here is Mary, the, the busy one. She reminds me so much of me. Luke says that she was busy in the kitchen. I love to be busy in the kitchen. Mary was at the feet of Jesus just soaking it in. And Martha's like, Mary, Mary helping me, Jesus, tell her to help me. You remember that in Luke? And here's Martha. She's, she's busy. She's got lists to do. She hears Jesus is coming. All right, I'm not waiting. Why wait till he gets here? I'm going to go meet him. I can relate to that so much. When she gets to Jesus, verse 21, Jesus, there's nothing in the scriptures recorded that he has said something. So she comes out to see him, I think, and she just starts talking. That's me. Anyway, Martha said to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. The busybody needs answers. She's the extrovert. Talk to me. Right? And I think... I think, I don't want to read too much into this, but in the word, if my brother, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think what you hear is grief. 
right? I think there's grief. I, I think there's a little bit maybe respectful complaining going on. Man, if you had been here early, if you only came when the messengers came, why did you wait two days? I think there's words of grief. There's words of faith, words of disappointment. You love me? This is what love looks like? I don't understand. But what we notice in this text is that God's lateness, Jesus stayed two days not because he doesn't love them, but Jesus stayed two extra days because he loves them. His timing is always perfect, family. When you're in distress and you're in trials, you're in difficulty, what you're going through, if Jesus doesn't fix it immediately, doesn't show up immediately for you and make things right for you, it's because he loves you. Don't let the enemy come in and say he doesn't care. He does care. He's trying to get you to see his glory. That's what you need more than anything. That's a good reminder for us. His timing's always perfect. Look at verse 23. Jesus now speaks. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She's thinking, yes, I know that because the scripture, the Old Testament scripture teaches us, Daniel 12 and other places, that there will be a a resurrection in the last day. Uh, I get it, Lord. And she's thinking Jesus is saying, listen, we know he'll rise. We get that. We understand that. We believe that. We know what the Old Testament says. I got it. And Lord, and the Lord is like, no, no, listen, I'm not talking about the immediate right here, right now. I'm not talking about the, the, the end times. I'm talking about looking at me. I want you to see me. I want you to see me. That reality is, 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 is too much for her. Verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Verse 25, Jesus makes it very clear. I am. See that verse 25? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Mary, do you believe this? Very important you see when he says, I am the resurrection. The word I am, ego am I in the Greek means that he is eternal. Same word, same self-disclosure that Yahweh used speaking to Moses in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Exodus 3. I am the self-existent one. I have no beginning and no end. And Jesus is taking those words and he's taking her from the place of understanding that there's an end time in which the bodies will rise to say, look at me. Look at me. I am the resurrection. Have faith in me. And he personalizes it as the one who can overcome death. I am the resurrection life. Jesus is not only bread that was sent from heaven. The Bible said that Jesus is the bread from heaven. Jesus is not only the water from the rock. The Bible says in John 7, we saw this earlier, that anyone who comes to me and drink will be eternally satisfied. He not only raises the dead on the last day, but Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. He's so identified with life and resurrection that there is no life, there is no resurrection apart from Christ. That's what he's saying. And he says, look, even though Lazarus has died, it's not the final word. Believers in Jesus Christ, physical death means a gateway into life. I, say, I think I said this last week, maybe in the second service, I don't remember anymore. But we think this is the land of the living and we die, we go to the land of the dead. The opposite is true. This is the land of the dying. We step into eternal life in the land of the living. That's the promise. Fellowship with him. And, and death becomes a gateway the Bible says that we are to mourn when people die, but, pleep, but the people of God mourn not as the world mourns. We mourn with hope. Jesus will say in John 17, 
People say, well, what does it mean to have eternal life? John 17, 3, Jesus makes it clear. This is eternal life. You want to know? This is it. That you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He's praying to the Father. What is eternal life? Knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, loving Jesus, yielding your life, believing on Jesus, having faith in Jesus. And eternal life's not just the future hope. It's the present reality. Knowing him now, you can experience eternal life. That's what he's saying. Now, he asks, do you believe this? Look at verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What a, what a beautiful, what a, the commentators are all over on this. The way I see this, that's a beautiful expression of faith. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the one that's been promised. You're the Son of God, Son of, of, the, of the same nature of God. I, I, she's seeing the truth. She doesn't totally get it. She's going to say in a moment, don't roll the stone away, man. My brother's been dead. He stinks in there. Don't open that. She don't totally get it, but either, I, I look at that and I go, man, before I judge, let me relate. I don't totally get it either. I'm learning every day. She, she has faith in him right now. Now, not complete. There's room to grow like the rest of us. Amen? All right, like the rest of us. But she's understanding that. She has this, this, this confession of faith. I mean, there are two levels. Jesus is talking about, I am. Look at me now. Look at me right now. I'm going to raise the dead. She's like, I know it's the end time. It's going to happen. They're kind of on two different places right now, but she'll get there. Martha was full of words, but she missed Jesus' real message, but she will see his glory. And that's how we do it too sometimes. We're growing in, in, in the presence and manifestation of Jesus in our life. And so we see. Next, you see, not only speaks to Martha, but look at the emotions to Mary. When she had said this, I believe you are the son of God, she went and got her sister. She said, teacher's here looking for you. Verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly, that's Mary, and went out to meet him as well. And if she had gotten out there, she didn't get... Quite that far. I mean, Jesus was not at the house yet. And when the Jews saw Mary, verse 31, get up and leave the house and go find Jesus, all the Jews thought she was going, look at verse 31, quickly, they left thinking she was going to the tomb. So they went out as well. Verse 32, as you see in our text here, Mary came to where Jesus was. He's not quite at the home yet. Not quite in Bethany on the road. Where he met Martha, now he meets Jesus. And look what it says. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing Martha said. They've had tea over the past couple of days, probably saying the same thing to each other over and over again. We see them both saying the same thing. And what I love about this passage, and I did mention this last week, I know I did, is that Jesus deals with the grieving of Mary and the grieving of Martha in two different ways because he knows them. He loves them. God knows you. God loves you. He knows that you need when you need it. He knows that you grieve in different ways. And with Martha, he speaks. He's bringing it to the place with Mary. She falls at his feet. No words. No words. She's the introvert. She loves sitting at his feet. If only you had been there. And I think you see the same thing. There's grief. There's pain. There's disappointments. But there's faith. If you'd been here, he would live. I, I, I know you could do it, but you weren't here. Jesus doesn't say anything. Verse 33. She's at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, he would be alive. 
Jesus looks down, sees her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping and was, look, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Very important. In verse 33, when it says Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews weeping, that word, that word weeping there means loud wailing and lamentation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I have where there's loud wailing and lamentation. Most funerals you go, it's quiet. Everybody's kind of crying to get their tissues. Not very loud. But there's cultures out there, even today, especially back then, where they would hire mourners. They would hire musicians to play dirges. And, and it, would, it would last for days. It would be loud. And people would be wailing. That's what that word means. Wailing and crying and, 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 and loud. Look at verse 33, too. It says, Jesus was seeing all this, loud wailing, lamentation. He was deeply moved. The word is used extra biblical in that time in the Greek for a snorting of a horse. It usually expressed anger and indignation and warning. In Mark 14, the word was used of a woman who poured ointment, a very expensive ointment, on Jesus, over Jesus' head, and she was scolded. There's indignation for wasting it. Irritated, wasting it on Jesus. That's the word. Deeply moved. Now the word troubled, another, and again, I'm no Greek scholar. I'm just telling you what I've studied. The word troubled, greatly troubled, means physical agitation. It signifies being shaken. In Mark 5, the, 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 it says that the angel came down in the water and stirred up the water. It's agitation. Jesus is indignant. He, he, he's expressing anger and he's shaken and agitated. Why? I don't think he's upset with Mary and Martha. He's loving them at the moment. I don't even think he's upset at the mourners and the dirges and everything they were playing. I believe that Jesus was agitated and angry over sin and death. The Hebrews understood that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the universe and everything in it, and it was good. It was very good. And that he told Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden, if you rebel, if you sin, there'll be death. So the Jewish people knew that death came into the world because of sin. Paul tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Paul says, death is earned, life is a gift. We've all earned death because all have sinned. If there had been sin, had been not been any sin, there would be no death. So I think Jesus in this moment, he sees Mary broken, he sees Martha hurting, he sees them crying, he sees the family and friends distraught, tears flowing from their eyes. He's considering Lazarus' death as a mark of sin into the human race because of rebellion and, and, and sin, and it caused him to be angry. Death is still the result of sin. And there is still anger and outrage over death because they knew it was because of sin and rebellion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a long passage, it says that death is an enemy. That death is our enemy. Death is not to be embraced as a friend. It is to be conquered and overcome. Now you could buckle up, you could drink bottled water, you can have all your fruits and vegetables, but that fight you're going to lose in time. And the Lord Jesus is agitated about death. And I'm glad that he is. Have, have you ever been angry over death? Have you ever been angry over the untimely death of someone? I was only 21 years old when I held my father's hand. He was 51. He was younger than me now who died holding my hand. And you know, when it first happened, I'm thinking, 
I can't believe this happened. And that went from why? There was so much I wanted to tell my father. There's so much, his grandchildren, all the things that he missed. I was angry. I was frustrated. And so is Jesus. He looks at death. He knows it's a result of sin. And he's angry over it. It's not part of life. Don't let any pastor at any funeral tell you, be respectful. But if he tells you death is a part of life, say, no, it's not a part of life. Death is a part of the curse. It's not a part of life. It wasn't supposed to be. It's not the way God created us to be. But sin entered in, death entered in, and Jesus sees that. And I'm glad that he is angry and outraged over sin, death, and hell. Look at verse 34. And Jesus said to them, where have you laid him? They said, come and see. Jesus wept. Really cool, same thing. That word wept is a different word than loud lamentation. That word is a different Greek word, and that means inward, an inward groaning, a a spontaneous burst of tears. Jesus, he's not weeping because he'll never see Lazarus. He's going to raise him from the dead. But Jesus is weeping. He is crying. He is identifying and sympathizing with Mary and Martha. He goes from angry indignation to weeping. Philippians 4 says that our high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He has in every way been tempted yet without sin. He knows us. He is fully man and fully God. That tells us, beloved, this morning that Jesus weeps when our children are sick. That Jesus weeps when those we love die. That Jesus weeps when we have a wayward child. That Jesus weeps when we are lonely and we are hurting and we are deeply disappointed. Paul tells us in Romans that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing. You know, the gospels tell us, the, the gospel accounts tell us that Jesus is fully man. He experienced hunger, he experienced thirst, he got tired, but he had an uncorrupted, listen, uncorrupted emotional life. He exhibited pure joy. He exhibited pure love. He felt perfect compassion, even righteously angry at times. He had sorrow, he had joy, and at times he wept. Isaiah the prophet tells us years before Jesus came that he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And here he's entering into the grief that they experience. He does not avoid sorrow. Jesus knows. And that's so important. And what's so cool about it is Jesus not only weeps with us, alongside us, but now with the Spirit of God dwelling within us, he is in us, the one who is weeping. I tell people that all the time. I want them to know when you're hurting, Jesus is not just hurting externally. He's by the power of the presence of his Spirit dwelling within you, the one who is hurting. Absolutely amazing. Jesus grieves. He's angry over sin. He's grieving with them. He's identifying with them. He he speaks words to Martha. He shows deep emotion to Mary. He's manifesting his love and glory to them. He's not a stoic. He's not a robot. He has deep emotion. Next is displeasure. Verse 36. So the Jews said, they see this outburst of tears, and the Jews say, see how he loved him. But some of them could, some of them said, verse 37, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, which happened in chapter 9, also have kept this man from dying? 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, mark that in your Bible, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laid against it. That is so interesting to me. I'm trying to follow this, this storyline, this narrative, and trying to draw out from it what is going on. I don't want to get too involved, but, but I think what we see here, look at verse 38. The first word in verse 38, then, that is the word therefore. Okay, it's the word therefore. Therefore, Jesus deeply moved again. What, what made him move again? It's the same word that we saw earlier with the agitation or with the, with the, with the um, not the agitation, but the uh, being angry and indignant. It happens again. You see that in verse 38? We know what therefore is therefore for. That's what, that's what, that's what the, the, the word then means. So go back to verse 37. Why were you deeply moved again, Lord Jesus? Some of them said, could not he who opened the blind man kept this man from dying? Like, really, Lord, you couldn't do something? You have unbelief, you have skepticism, and you have this questioning of the God-man if he really cares and he loves them. And Jesus is indignant again of their unbelief and says, where have you laid him? I think what, what I take from this passage, one of the things I want to draw from this and, and show you is that once again we hear and see the beauty and the patience of God. I mean, by now, if it was me, I'd be like, y'all a bunch of idiots. How much more do I need to do? But instead of doing that, he, he looks at them, he's indignant, and he says, let's go to the tomb. I would have said, everybody stay here. Mary and Martha, you guys are loving me. I'm loving you. You you have some faith. It's not grown a whole lot, but you're getting there. You guys come. Everybody else, stay here. That's what I would have done, but not Jesus. Because Jesus is loving and Jesus is patient and Jesus is perfect. And he doesn't do that. He allows everyone to come to the tomb so that everyone, even in their midst, even in their disbelief and their hard-heartedness, will get a chance to see the glory of God. Now look down with me if, I, if you can. I want, you to, I want to pick this up because this is important to connect this to this verse. Look down at verse 45. Jesus raises Lazarus. Look what verse 45 says. Many of the Jews, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus, came with Mary, had seen what he did and believed in him. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So you have some people believing and are saved. You have some people not believing and are snitches. And they're running right back to, to the Pharisees and say, guess what Jesus did? Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Why is that important? Look at verse 53. Look at verse 53. Let me find it for myself. You're all looking at it. I, I haven't found it yet. My eyes are going. Okay, here we go. Verse uh, 53, so from that day on, the telling of Lazarus, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Okay, I want you to catch that. The rising of Lazarus sealed Jesus' death. So in order to, in order to push his resurrection, excuse me, his crucifixion along, he's got to raise Lazarus from the dead. It'd be easy to say, I'm not doing it, because I know what this is going to trigger, but Jesus, in his love for you, he, he sees the hurting of the family and he weeps. He sees death and he's indignant. But he knows that he has to trigger his own funeral so that the disbelief can turn to belief. And, and you need to see that this morning. That he, even though we are hard-hearted to receive love and grace, he does what he knows will be his own death sentence. If I bring Lazarus 
out of death into life, I'm going from life to death on the cross. If I continue this funeral, I will be discontinued. But he does it anyway. And he triggers the anger knowing that the Passover season, the crucifixion will take place. And you know what, family? The reason why Jesus was so indignant is the skepticism and unbelief is because that will keep you too. And that kept them from seeing the love of God, seeing the glory of Jesus, for Jesus to manifest himself to us. What keeps that from us is unbelief. I hope you're not there this morning. I hope God is opening your heart to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to see his love and his glory. But he loves you, and he goes to the cross anyway. And finally, look at his power. Jesus moved again, deeply moved, verse 38, comes to the tomb. It was a cave. Stone was in front of it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, probably the older sister, I don't know, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, or as the King James says, I say it every service, he stinketh. For he'd been in there for four days. He's like, listen, his feet smell when he comes in from the field. Never mind being dead for four days. He smells. Don't do it. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? Don't move the stone away. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 40 goes back to verse 4. 40 and 4, remember that. It links back to this illness is not unto death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, Jesus, may be glorified through it. That's the point. And I love the fact that Jesus tells Martha to first believe, then see the glory. Sometimes it's seeing the glory and believing, the manifestation believing, and sometimes it's believing it. It's that step of faith. It's that kernel of truth. It's that walking and not fully comprehending, believing a little bit, and then seeing even greater manifestation of Christ. So he says to them, listen, move the stone. Don't worry. Trust me. Move it open. Verse 41, Jesus looks up to heaven. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Right? He's never outside the presence of his Father. But he said, I'm doing this out loud. Already had quiet prayer, now I'm doing it out loud. For the benefit of those around, on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me, that you, I, and the Father are one. He wants the people to know that. And then verse 43, he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It was Augustine who said, He had to say Lazarus' name, otherwise he would have emptied the entire graveyard. No, 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 everybody back. We're just looking for Lazarus. Sorry, I didn't mean that. That's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary and Martha must have seen the faith results in the presence, the power, and the glory and love of Christ and the power of Jesus bringing Lazarus out of that tomb. This miracle, I want you to know, validates what Jesus already said if you've been walking with us through this book in chapter 5. He said, just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the Son of Man also gives life to whom he wishes. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet bound with linen and strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus says, unbind him. Let him go. Jesus says, unwrap him. Lazarus like, praise the Lord. It was getting stinky in there. And he comes out. Now, family, Jesus displays his deity. He displays his power over life and over death for his own glory. 
for the glory of God and glory of the Son. Glory, his intrinsic splendor, his weightiness, that's where it means his worth, his incalculable value is revealed through the power of Christ over life and over death. Not just for them, but for us. And you need to know this morning that crises and death and sickness and hardships are opportunities for God to show himself to us if we're looking, if we're savoring and looking for the incalculable worth of Christ and just want his presence in our life. He is enough. He is enough. And I don't want us to be raptured or caught up in just seeing, wow, Lazarus, I mean, could you imagine being there? Being there? I never, I've never gone to another funeral since I read this story looking at the funeral the same way. Could you imagine? Don't miss, it's not Lazarus. That's a sign. That is significant because it points to Christ. That's a sign. I want to tell you that the most pressing problem you have and I, you and I have this morning is not our health. It's not financial, it's not vocational, it's not family needs. That, as heart-wrenching as some of the world and, and situation we find ourselves in, Jesus is there for us, he's loving us. The most pressing problem you and I have this morning is like Lazarus, we are dead in our sin. We, we are bound by a rebellious heart, unbelieving heart, who don't want to believe, who's unwilling to come to the one who created you, his name is Jesus, to see his glory and experience his love. And just like this narrative shows us, it is the call of Christ, it is the call of God, it's the work of God, it's the power of God that brings us out of death into life. Paul told young Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony or me a prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us through a holy calling, that is the calling onto faith, not because of works, but by his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus. Then he still goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of Christ, the manifestation of Jesus, the Savior, who, Jesus, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The call of God is come out. The call of God has come out from the dead and be reconciled to God through repentance and faith in the atoning work, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf and the empty tomb. His death, Jesus' death and resurrection validates everything he said, that the price has been paid, the debt has been paid, the penalty for sin has been paid, the curse has been lifted, death has been defeated. He did what we could not do. And then Jesus asked Martha, and I I think we could say the same thing this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe he is the Lord, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, who has power and authority and is the resurrection and the life? See, our problem is we're dead to that. We need an awakening of the Spirit to see his life-saving power. Now, the second problem we face, and we'll close with this, is that you and I can't conquer death. (laughs) Maybe that's not something you came here to talk about, but here it is. Death is an enemy. God created us to live forever. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us you've been written eternity in our hearts, and God wrote eternity in our hearts. And we cannot save ourselves. No doctor, no scientist, no prescription is going to keep you alive forever. That's why the resurrection is so important. Romans says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, because Jesus has overcome death, unlike Lazarus who will die again, his tomb is empty, we can know for sure 
we can know for sure, we have the assurance and the proof that our resurrection will happen because of Jesus and because he brought life from a dead body named Lazarus and because his tomb was empty as well. His tomb will never be filled. Lazarus, you can go see today. Jesus' tomb is empty. He ascended to the Father. And now if we put our faith in him this morning as the living Lord and Savior who has power over life and death, he'll forgive you of your sins. You receive the Holy Spirit as a gift to assure you of eternal life. He himself will manifest himself to you through his Spirit. Do you realize that it is proof? This, this text here, this eyewitness account, we're going to see more about Lazarus later on, is proof positive that everything Jesus said and the resurrection of the dead and the conquering of death, sin, and hell is true. Everyone will stand before Jesus, from Hitler to Mother Teresa. He's the King of kings, Lord and lords, and those who have trusted him and loved him and yielded to him and repented of their sins to eternal life. And those who reject the Messiah, who have no belief in him, have no time for him. The Bible says not only is there death, physical death, but there's something called the second death. If you read Revelation, the second death is akin to um, the lake of fire. It says it's the second death because we die physically and then we die spiritually for eternity. Jesus has authority, power. He's the eternal God who became flesh, who has power over life and death and power over the second death. And if you trust him today, you will escape the second death and you will come into the presence of Christ through the power of his spirit. Let me end with this story. Someone may come to you and believe in all kinds of things about eternity. Some of them will say, yeah, I believe in reincarnation. I believe in karma. I believe that you just discontinue. And you may think it through and read up on it and think, you know what? I like this idea. This sounds good. I've been a pretty good person. Maybe I'll come back and be a king or a queen or some rich person. Or maybe you're like really nasty one and you don't want to come back because you'll be a bug or something. I don't know. But let's just say you buy into that. What proof do you have? What evidence do you have in the afterlife that you'll come back possibly as a bug or the king of of wherever? What proof do you have? But on the other hand, if Jesus Christ, testimony we have, from all eternity, came, lived, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, died in a, a atoning death, the tomb is empty, he's risen from the dead. He says, and what he says about eternity is proof. Think about that. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Everyone knows that. And when Jesus says you will live in conscience, awareness for eternity, whether eternal life with the glory of God and the beauty of Christ in heaven, or you will end up in the second death away from God in a place called hell for all eternity, he has died, he has rose again. That's proof positive. So I'm going to ask you, you have two choices to make here. One, we can look and see Mary and Martha and, and worship Jesus. We can love him, run to him, trust him, and, and, and follow him, believe on him. The other is sin. We can disbelieve and put the rock in front of our heart and keep it there and don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. One's eternal life, one eternal death. Choice is ours. Lazarus came out. That's all we need. Jesus died. Tomb is empty. Proof positive. Will you worship the Lord Jesus? We're going to play. We're going to respond. If you don't know Christ, now's the day. Trust him. Love him. He died for you. He rose for you. He has the power over life and death. Worship him. Let's pray. Lord, when Mary and Martha 
even in the mustard seed of faith, look to you, light came in. The stone was removed. They responded. Lord, you met them. You loved them. You cared for them. You showed them yourself. Father, we pray that every heart here would have the stone removed by the infinite power that you have and the glory that you want to show them in a manifestation of Jesus, our great God and Savior. Father, we pray as we continue to worship in song that you would make yourself known to us. How desperately wicked and sinful we are, but how wonderfully loved and accepted we are in the gospel. There's nothing we have done, it's everything that Jesus has done. And Father, we pray that we would worship him today, believing on him with our whole heart. Come and meet us, Lord, by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.